This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. Since day dot, humans have invented, inadvertently stumbled across, or tried to discover passions and stuff they're good at by having a go at hobbies. We might use them for pleasure, health, fitness, to combat loneliness, or to distract us from reality, all in the hope we can find meaning in our lives. Hobbies can be bizarre, addictive, psychologically revealing, and sometimes even beyond ridiculous. But whatever your hobby, chances are it's at the very least a little bit shit. So listen in and prepare for your hobby to be exposed. I'm Sean Woodland, host of Your Hobby Is Shit. Welcome. Wow, up to episode 28 now. That's eight more than the number of major titles Novak Djokovic has won. Bugger all chance he'll ever catch me now. And as soon as I start speaking, the dog lets herself out of the room. She must hate this podcast. Or potentially the sound of my voice. Anyway, what a clusterfuck shit show and national embarrassment that Djokovic saga turned out to be. Even if he wins another major at some point, the Joker's legacy is now forever tainted. But to a few, he will remain a martyr. To a few dead shit anti-vaxxers. What a tribe to have on your side. Ignorant and stupid. A magnificent combination. Speaking of which, if you can stomach listening to a fuckstick of the highest order for a few minutes, some might argue you already are, but if you can handle listening to a poor man's Jordan Peterson, give Joe Rogan's podcast a listen in a recent episode where the misinformation spreader interviews Australian Josh Zepps regarding the vaccine. Even the egomaniac Rogan admits Zepps made him look dumb on his own show. I disagree. I reckon he made him look fucking stupid. Anyways, part of me wishes that Djokovic was allowed to stay. I'm listening to petty tennis fans booing him and the virtue signalers going nuts online as he thrashed every opponent on his way to a 10th Australian Open title would have been a joy to behold. Some victory that would have been for the crazy Serb. He might have even cried. And that's the thing with tennis players. They're pathetic cries. They cry when they win. They cry when they lose. They cry when it's too hot. They cry when they have to quarantine. They cry when their sadistic parents abuse them after they lose. Then there's Roger Federer. He fucking cries all the time. I guess that's what you get when your sport is dominated by soft, entitled, spoiled brats and domineering parents. Fucking molly-coddled sooks. My parents weren't abusive, so I was crap at tennis. Uh, Mum did enrol my brother and I in a tennis camp once and I hated it. At some point I was ejected as this tool picked on my little brother, so I jumped the net and hit him with my racket. No one picks on my little brother except me. As mentioned in the last episode, I dropped my son Sam at a tennis camp last week, not because we wanted him to play tennis, but because we wanted him out of the house for a few days. If there'd been a ballet program on for cheaper, that's where he would have ended up. But I told Sam, son... As unlikely as it might be, if you do end up being good at this game, tennis, societal norms no longer apply to you. 
You'll spend most of your time in motels or being a wanker on Instagram, and you'll be able to indulge your self-obsession and petulant desires for the rest of your life. With luck, you might even reach the pinnacle of the sport and get sponsored by Rolex, even though you already have the time on your phone. Now, unsurprisingly, though, the toxic culture infected my young bloke, and after three days at camp, he came home acting all smug, strutting around, demanding a new racket. So I karate chopped him to the floor and sent him outside to pick up the dog shit with his bare hands. Problem solved. Tennis is played by precious narcissists who have never put their bodies on the line in a contact sport, yet remarkably still managed to suffer injuries, dropping like soft bags of shit on a regular basis. Many adult professional players are accompanied to work every day by mummy and daddy, and this occurs more so in tennis than any other sport and is the creepiest form of dependent personality disorder. These parents epitomise vicarious living and are often violent and controlling, but, you know, who wouldn't be if you stood to earn a shitload of money courtesy of your biologically gifted offspring? If my son fucked up beforehand and it cost me a share of a cool million, I'd be punching in him in sleep for weeks afterwards. Perhaps the best quote I've ever heard regarding tennis parents came from Martina Navratilova when she said about a former American player, Lindsay Davenport has the best parents of anyone on the tour. And when asked why she said this, Navratilova replied, because I've never met them. What a dreadful indictment on that game. The crowd in tennis, it has to be silent when the game is played. Fucking snowflakes. This show of weakness occurs only in sports played by privileged wankers like golf and probably croquet too. The crowd at rugby union matches in Australia are mostly quiet too, but that's only because there isn't any crowd. Can you imagine Buddy Franklin or Adam Reynolds demanding silence as they line up one from the boundary on grand final day? You can actually lean over the fence and scream, Miss it! just as they kick the ball, for fuck's sake. More embarrassing, tennis players are so emotionally fragile and prone to bottling it under pressure that they get two chances to serve. Yes, the thing they do most in the game, they're not very good at. So to placate their weak temperaments and reduce the number of whiny tantrums, they're, they're given two chances. Soft as butter. Not many sports enabled mediocrity quite like tennis does. Players who are knocked out in the first round of a tournament receive a payday that most of us would get a stiffy over if it was our annual salary. How Bernard Tomic has more money than all you listeners and me combined is both a fucking mystery and disgrace. If I was as shit a comedian as he is at tennis, I'd be doing five-minute unpaid open mic spots and mixing with proper mentals every night of my life. However, not all tennis players are tools. There are anonymously... Jeez, got the stutters going. There are anomalies in life. Not all rugby league players need to attend courses on how to treat women either. Ash Barty seems like a well-grounded ripper of a chick, even if she does support Richmond. Pat Rafter was always gracious, humble and sportsmanlike. He even admitted to choking. Take note, Greg Norman, it doesn't hurt. Sadly, the non-dickhead players pale into insignificance when you compare them to the plethora of precocious pricks. Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Pat Cash, Chris Everett Lloyd, even if only for marrying Greg Norman for a while, Leighton Hewitt, Andre Gassi, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, and of course, again, Bernard Tomic. Jesus Christ, hasn't his dad done a Kerry Packer on him? Beyond bragging about his wealth, that poor boy has absolutely nothing going for him, and 
perpetually demonstrates the very worst of masculine insecurity each and every time he opens his sad mouth. Some shrinks reckon that when people get rich, that is the exact moment they stop maturing. Uh, It's been said about Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, the creepy man-child who owns Facebook. The theory makes sense when applied to most tennis players too, but with Bernard Tomic, it looks to have occurred even before he became wealthy. Nick Kyrgios is currently the poster boy of Australian tennis, and whether you like him or not, about the only thing he hasn't done is win. Just fucking win something, Nick. If we want shitty drama, we'll watch Home and Away. If we want to see Between the Leg Tricks, we'll go to Bangkok. Just win, mate. Tennis coaches, they're usually perverts. Tennis crowds are mostly dressed in polo shirts, loafers, dreadful visor hats, white frocks and other shit clothing. They're the sort of insufferable turds who write, I like the finer things in life on their dating profiles. Wannabe sycophants being Tennis fans allows them the confounding delusion of elitism, class and status as they cheer on poorly educated players. They like to drink champagne with strawberries or pims and eat smoked salmon canapes. Well, I've got news for you, you pretentious clowns. Any sport you attend where meat pies aren't the staple menu item, that sport is more about the wannabe social status of the attendee than it is about the sport. This year... The Australian Open is being sponsored by the hotel chain Marriott, Luxury Champagne House, Piper Heidsick, Rolex Watches and clothing brand Ralph Lauren. Yep, tennis, the game for the people, eh? Twats. At Wimbledon, which is known as the home of tennis, uh, because we all know how good the Brits are at sport, when it's not raining, fans there, they drink 110,000 glasses of bubbly and eat 77,000 ice cream cones and 166,000 portions of strawberry. That's an enormous amount of pretension. The Australian Open is doing its best to match the Poms following a $100 million loss last year. This year, they're offering new off-court experiences at Melbourne Park for attendees, including a new beach house precinct with beach tennis, VIP champagne cabanas and a vodka bar. Can you imagine hanging out there with such a collection of vacuous wastrels? I made an error last week when I said the Fanatics wouldn't let ScoMo join them. On further reflection, I acknowledge my error of judgement because he's exactly the type of socially awkward, soulless, friendless loser they'd love to have on board. Okay, so the Fanatics, Jesus Christ, if the title doesn't give them away. They officially began in 1997 with the aim of forming an organised, passionate and patriotic support group that would follow Australian sport at home and around the world. Already a little bit disconcerting with the use of the word patriot. They've got 115,000 members who receive their newsletters and they've organised travel for over 130,000 losers since, since they started. They claim to work closely with Rugby Australia, Cricket Australia, Football Australia, the NRL and ARL, Tennis Australia and various other international sporting organisations. They uh, operate affordable travel options to the world's biggest and craziest festivals and parties, sailing along the Croatian coast during the European summer, plus the annual Anzac Day commemorations at Gallipoli. Of course they go to Gallipoli. Nothing quite like visiting a historical place of significance and slaughter while chanting... To convince yourself of your patriotism while on a month-long piss-up overseas with a hundred complete strangers. Okay, so 
You've probably heard of meet-up groups. That's where people with no friends meet up to try and make friends. And the one thing they all have binding them is that they have no friends. What a fucking recipe for disaster. But essentially, this is what the fanatics are, only that they go to sporting events to gain a wider audience when broadcasting their social retardation. Fair enough. You know, when you're travelling overseas on your own, you, you do end up speaking to people from your own nation that back at home you'd cross the street to avoid, but actively choosing to associate on holiday with uninspired bogan nerds of your own volition, fuck me, what a tawdry existence. And it's not just tennis that attracts this type of dead-inside shit-eating dingbat. I mentioned the fools who dress up as Richie Benno last week at the cricket. Well, I've since investigated further, and it turns out that, like the Fanatics, the Richies are basically a middleman cash cow organisation that preys on the lonely, and they congregate on day two, get it, of each test match. If you're a fuckhead who likes to play dress-ups because it makes you less inhibited and you really like the idea of hanging around with other fuckheads who like to play dress-ups because it makes them less inhibited, while adhering to a strict code of conduct then why wouldn't you go? And if you're the really adventurous larrikin type, you can start a Mexican wave, you can wear a watermelon as a hat, paint a dick and balls in sunscreen on your mate's back, stand up to signal fours together, all the while pretending to get blind drunk drinking mid-strength beer. Hours of fun. Anyway, back to tennis. Tennis is shit. But not as shit as politics. Politics is really shit, but sadly, we're once again soon going to have to waste part of a Saturday avoiding political hobbyists who are trying to shove bits of paper into our hands as we go about electing a thick-skinned narcissist to apparently lead our nation for the next few years. I've met a few politicians in recent years, almost every one of them an utter driveling dickhead. They're generally good at debating, arguing and not listening. All that really means is that they're good at debating and arguing. Swallowing, then being able to regurgitate a thesaurus, doesn't make them right or good at anything else, much less a decent human being. Arguing and debating is how politicians bully each other, and the boring twats enjoy it. Christian Porter was a good debater, but also Porter's mother told him he would be Prime Minister one day. Well, she was wrong. But so did John Howard's, Bob Hawke's and Tony Abbott's. This is another way of a mother saying that their child would score highly on the psychopath scale. Politicians, they they learn to debate and argue at school. Both public and private schools have debating curriculum. Public school debating aims to assist in the forming of reasoned argument and improving vocabulary. Private school debating, on the other hand, it's intended to reinforce superiority, enhance verbal humiliation skills, wreak havoc upon women and marginalised groups, and prepare the debater for a life of power and privilege. When I went to school, you debated whether you should punch a dickhead with your left or right hand, give them a crow peck, dead leg, cripple nipple, or use my preferred option of running away. Since pummeling nerds was outlawed in the mid-90s, Australia has had a Liberal government for all but six of the past 27 years. Join the dots on that one. That's a lot of privately educated, acid-tongued men who never had their heads flushed down the toilet as punishment for their condescending wordsmithery. Society has facilitated nerds becoming society's bullies by not keeping them in line. I often wonder how white Australia can be so conservative when we all bang on about being a country settled by or at least invaded by convicts. Well, what do convicts need? Guards and police. Those who crave power and control and they're the ones who run Australia. People who take debating seriously always have to be right. 
Aside of in politics and law enforcement, these obnoxious pricks can also be found on radio, television, panel shows and at social gatherings. The problem with always thinking you're right is that it stops you from learning. And when people fail to learn, they can become impervious to decency, something a well-timed prick flick or dead leg once took care of. Politicians are often described as charming and charismatic. Yep, just like Ted Bundy, Eddie Maguire and Ghislaine Maxwell. And these wonderkin debaters eventually become fully grown egomaniac men and sometimes women who, having never faced consequences, end up masturbating on desks at Parliament House. They might become Attorney General or even Prime Minister, all while maintaining a magnificent ignorance to the luck they've experienced in life. Current crop politicians are appalling. There's plenty of reasons to think ScoMo is shit, but I can't get past the Hillsong reason. How the fuck can you take anyone seriously who subscribes to a Ponzi scheme of such epic proportions and pretends it's about kindness and tolerance? Organised religion is just the selling of a product that comes without a solitary piece of evidence to support its functioning. Another word to describe it is fraud. And there's plenty of other examples too. The entire self-help industry homeopathy, dieting, the list is endless. All you need, it's a few devotees and Hillsong will take anyone. Jared Hayne, anyone. The type of person you are is secondary to your commitment to sign up. And some of them do a remarkably good job of pretending to be normal human beings. Fuck me, that's our Prime Minister. Then last week I had the misfortune to listen to Alf Anthony Albanese. Gifted a brilliant opportunity to test ScoMo a new one for any number of reasons, he instead chose to drivel in his weird monotone. That bloke could bore a train spotter. Jesus, get your balls out of your purse and have a go, Albo. And both of them, ScoMo and Albo, they own poodle crosses. Fucking lightweights. I'll tell you what, if politicians are meant to represent their constituents, from now on I'm only voting for one who, like me, is a renter and lives week to week financially. Exactly. It's becoming increasingly likely that my voting sheet will end up with a dick and balls drawn on it. A test cricket finished for the year and England have now lost 13 of their last 15 test matches on Australian soil. More importantly, you'll all be pleased to know that every single Australian cricketer is a decent person now. You see, when they were spraying champagne at the conclusion of the series, I naturally assumed that Usman Khawaja had quite rightly been left out of the celebrations as punishment for batting so badly in the Hobart Test. But it turns out he actually chose not to partake because he's a Muslim and, I don't know, they don't drink or some shit. Well, some don't. A bit like how Jewish people aren't meant to eat pork. Well, except for every single Jewish person I know. But as soon as all the champers had been emptied, Khawaja was called to rejoin the celebrations. And we can all sleep comfortably tonight knowing that the Australian cricket team are no longer a bunch of cheating, arrogant arseholes, well, even though Dave Warner and Steve Smith are still on the side, but that they are a progressive role model group who will help to collectively end all of society's problems. Until the next time one fucks up, anyway. Which, interestingly enough, nearly happened less than nine hours later when the police were called to their hotel following a noise complaint. It was a false alarm. Some low-life film, The Insignificant Episode, and good old laid-back Australia, The Nanny State, rides again. A couple of lads can't even have a 
beer at six in the morning on a rooftop bar without someone complaining. Jesus Christ. My apologies for being a day late in releasing this episode. I had to take the kids to Dubbo and the Dubbo Zoo for a couple of days. Loving and looking at animals, great hobby. I went with my mate and his three kids, and it was only a five-hour drive each way from Sydney. Fucking torture. And the temperature was only 35 degrees every day, and in an exquisite show of tight arsery, not even one square metre of the pool area at the tourist park that we stayed at offered protection from the sun. Yet, as you know, and as I always do, I look at the positives and we had a brilliant time. Well, the kids did. My mate Chris and I got to relax as well for about 30 minutes each night after finally getting five kids to sleep. You wouldn't be dead for quids. It's victim of the week. There was thousands and thousands online this week, but I saw one bloke posted on Twitter, RIP my dad, he died an hour ago. Like, very sad, but, oh, fuck. Not even an hour, and you had to put it on social media. How do people grieve? And some genuine bona fide victims who aren't in the habit of whining and trying to attract attention and sympathy. The people that work in the hospital system, because ScoMo and in New South Wales, Perite, they've just opened the floodgates, and those poor fucking people, Jesus Christ, you'd give every one of them Australian of the year. And having to treat anti-vaxxers too. We've got a few requests to get to over the next couple of weeks, but keep them coming, folks. Fantastic stuff. Uh, But until next time, do your best to remember, your hobby is shit, especially if it's tennis. Thanks for lending me your ears for another episode. All going well, I'll be back next week with current news and some harsh but fair critiques of more shit hobbies. You know where to find the podcast. Please subscribe to and share it, or don't. I'll be okay. You can find Your Hobby is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback, suggestions and abuse are all greatly appreciated. And if you're, for example, the manufacturer of a great beer like, say, the Immortal Pale Ale, and you're looking to sponsor an enlightening podcast, I'm open to offers. Thanks again. I'm Sean Woodland, the host, writer, producer, editor and complaints handler at Your Hobby is Shit. Okay, Boris. For once. Just why don't you call me my real name? Well, everyone knows you as Boris, but okay. Johnson. No! <laughs> what was your favourite part of the Dubbo Zoo? Um, the ostriches, because Sam was being cow trying to feed them. Is that it? Yeah, and also the rhinos. And the, one of the rhinos took like about two minutes when he was peeing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to be just as mature as your dad. Hey! Okay, Sammy boy, what was your favourite part of the holiday? Uh, I think mine was getting chased out of the pool at night time by the uh, guy who looks after the place. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, very good, mate. You'll go a long way in life. <laughs>